Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, you having a good time in church today? <laughs> that, that tested a few of you guys suburban cool, didn't it? Uh, it? It's so good to be here at New Spring. We're in a series, as I said a few moments ago, called Power Up. And what we're learning in this series is that God has a power that is beyond the power of this world. And one of the things that I'm concerned about as I look at the American church today, I know that many of you are watching from around the world. But here in the United States, one of the things I'm concerned about is that so much of our teaching in churches is kind of like tilted towards self-help. And there's a benefit there, but there's also an enormous limit. And and I'm going to just tell you my opinion about this, and I can't prove this, I can't codify it, but I'll just tell you something. The culture that you and I live in gets angrier and angrier all the time. And have you noticed that people seem to vent anger about things that you really wonder if they're really that angry about that particular thing? I think we're a culture that's packing heat. I think we're carrying anger with us. And a lot of that anger is because we're just running out of power. We can't see the things that are breaking our hearts changed. So in this series, I want to challenge us as a church to recognize that we were never meant to have all the strength within ourselves. We were meant to depend upon a supernatural power. And last week we got introduced to it. And we saw that in the book of Ephesians, The Holy Spirit had Paul use three Greek words to describe the awesome nature of God's power available to us. The first word was mega, and we know what that word means, even though it's it's not an English word, I guess, per se, in its etymology, but we know that mega means massive. So God's power is massive. It's not limited. The second word that we saw was the word dunamis. We get a word dynamite from it. Whenever you think about a dynamite explosion, you just think about raw force. And the word there, in speaking of God's power, means that God has the power to do miracles. God has the power to do the stuff that is beyond what we can imagine and attribute some sort of natural or material cause for. The last word is my favorite, and that is the word hyper. And it goes to what I just talked about a few moments ago about the frustration that people feel today, because what I think we're feeling is the frustration of getting to the edge of what we're actually able to change. And what the Bible tells us is is that mega means to go beyond. In other words, when we get stopped, when we get to the outer limits of what we can accomplish, God's power keeps working. And that means when you've decided you can't change your husband anymore, God's power still works on him. When you decide you just can't go, you can't do another thing to get your kids back on the rails, God's power keeps working. So that's what we're looking at. We're looking at this enormous power of God that is mega dynamite, and hyper. It goes beyond. Well, we saw last week that God's power shows up when we're hopeless, and it tends to change the story, change the narrative. We desperately need that. 
And you know what's weird is I really believe that even if a person's not a God follower, I really believe that there is an awareness that deep down inside we have been tuned as human beings to crave this power. Give you a, at least a proof, an evidence of that, if not a proof. Look how people are intrigued by uh, superheroes and entertainment. You know, there's been Spider-Man and Iron Man and Superman. Okay, I think deep down inside, our enjoyment of that is because God has tuned us as human beings to understand that there is a supernatural power available. And it's not just in modern times. If you go back in history, the ancient Greeks who projected onto their fictitious characters the mythology, their ability to do superhuman things. So... I want to talk about that supernatural power that's available to you, that's, if you're a Christ follower, available to your marriage, available to your relationship with your kids, and available to our world today. But I got to tell you right out of the box, today's talk is going to go counterculture, and it's going to challenge us because we live in an age of hyper-individualism, which basically means, and this is not a scientific definition, but it's pretty close. It simply means that everything is tailored for the individual. And because of that, sometimes we have a problem understanding the importance of being part of a group. The understanding that there are certain things that we're only going to derive out of being part of a group, especially that God has made promises to. When you study God in the Bible, you will see that God does something called covenants. And he makes these deals. And in the Old Testament, the covenant was with the nation of Israel. Now, here is the important thing, because I want you to understand something that's a challenge for me to get across. I'm going to do my best. God does work with us on an individual basis. He knows your name. Um, the Bible says he's even got your name on his hand. So he knows everything about you, the number of hairs on your head, which is getting to be a much easier job in my case. <laughs> but we understand that God oftentimes allows his power to flow through a group into the individual. In the Old Testament, it was Israel. Now, God had an individual relationship with Moses, David, Elijah, go on and on. He had individual relationships with all of them, but it was under the umbrella of Israel. Hey, isn't it different if you're, you know, if you're in a rainstorm, if you're outside the umbrella than if you're under the umbrella? It's a lot of difference. So the way God looks at it, these these umbrellas that God has made, and through that relationship, God blesses the individual. 2,000 years ago, our Lord Jesus began a new relationship with a group, and he made promises to the group that aren't necessarily made to the individual outside of that umbrella. He started something called the church, and here's the thing that this message is about. If you and I are going to have the power that we need, we must understand that the way God sets things up, he's going to do certain things through his church as the agency into your life as an individual. Now, as I said, this is an uphill talk in our culture today. And someone could say, well, Mark, you've lost me because I'm interested in Jesus, but I don't care much for churches. And I totally get that because there have been many scandals and many churches have not been what they should be. And many of us have had perhaps the most painful experience in our life through mistreatment in a church. I mean, how many of us have been in a church and we went there trying to find God and all we found was pain? and judgment, and anger, and so on. So if, if someone says to me, Mark, I'm into Jesus, but I don't care much for the church, I totally understand those feelings. And I have felt that way from time to time. But there are two important things that we must grasp. And the first one is, Jesus loves the church. 
In Ephesians, the Bible says Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. Somebody could say, well, Mark, I had a bad experience with the church. So did Jesus. He wound up getting crucified. If you and I haven't gotten crucified yet, I'm not sure where Jesus are, but he still loves the church. So, you know, there, and just, this is a human thing, but there are certain things that are important to Mary Alice. They're not technically important to me, but they're important to me because they're important to Mary Alice. So we need to understand the church must be important to us because it's important to Jesus. Here's the second thing, and I've already dropped this on you before, but let me go here again. There are promises. There, there is power available to you that will only be available to you through God's church. There are promises that he only made to his church. There's a promise that Jesus made to a church, not to a parachurch organization, not to any other thing except the church. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell. Well, hey, one thing we know is hell's got a lot of power. We face those headwinds every day. Jesus said, all the powers of hell can't stop the church. He did not make that promise to me outside of the church. Well, someone will say, and I, I was born at night. I really was born at night, but not last night. So someone is out there saying, Mark, I know where you're going with this sermon. You're going to try to talk me into being part of your church. Two problems. Number one, it isn't my church. I didn't die for it. Number two, the very last thing I would ever do is talk anyone into being part of New Spring. I'm in my 35th year. To my knowledge, I have never talked anyone into being into this church. Any church that has a sales pitch is dead already and doesn't know it. In fact, there have been a few times, not many, but there have been a few times I talked people out of coming to our church. That is true. Because, you know, every once in a while I'll meet somebody who's got a list of everything a church is supposed to be to them. And here's what they'll say. They'll say something like this. I love New Spring. But, you know, it doesn't have all the programs of the church. What New Spring needs to do is have this program and that. Most churches in America are so overprogrammed, God couldn't get in the door if he wanted to get in. But in any event, it wants someone, 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 and, I'll, and I'll be very gracious and loving, and I'll say, you know, God has blessed us at New, in Wichita with a lot of wonderful churches. Let me recommend a couple of good churches for you that I think will suit you a little better. And that's because I, I can tell they have a, real, they have a re, real predisposition toward what they think in their mind a church is supposed to be. Here at New Spring, we used to be in that wilderness about 15, 20 years ago. God let us come out of Egypt, and I'm not in any hurry to go back. So I promise you, the last thing in the world I would ever want to do is talk anyone into coming into New Spring. That's very sacred. That is between you and the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit leads you here, then we'll have a wonderful time together. So let me tell you what this sermon is about. It's probably the very last thing, opposite thing, that you might have thought if you thought what I said a moment ago. My sermon today is about New Spring being the kind of church that God can work through. And so I, I, I wanna, I'm glad to talk to everybody here if you're a Christ follower. If you're part of another family of faith, you can take this to where you worship. But if you're a New Springer today, this is a very serious talk for us because there's no way to talk about the power of God without talking about the kind of church that we are. I want to take you this morning to one of the most underutilized three chapters in the Bible. Now, God has opened doors for me. I'll talk to you about this later, but I'll be training hundreds of pastors around the United States and maybe outside the United States this year. 
And one of the things I say to pastors when I train them is there are three chapters you should never let get very far away from you, and they are Revelation chapters one through three. Hey, the moment I say Revelation, a lot of you were thinking Mark must be going to talk about prophecy because Revelation is a book of prophecy except chapters one through three. The prophecy starts in chapter four, but Revelation one through three is about the time we're living in right now. I'll tell you how it went down. It's about A.D. 90. It's about 60 years after Jesus rose from the grave and went back to heaven. And John, you know, on the inner circle of the disciples, you remember Peter, James, and John? This is John. It's the same John Jesus gave his mama to when he was dying on the cross. John is 90 years old, and he is pastoring a church in Asia at a city called Ephesus. Hey, I would still love to be giving the devil fits when I'm 90 years old. And John, he gave so much trouble to the Roman government preaching Jesus. The Roman government said, we got to find some way to shut this man up. And so they took 90-year-old John and they banished him to a little island off the coast, which was just a cold rock pile in the Aegean Sea called Patmos. Well, they said to himself, that'll shut him up, but God lit him up. Because it was Sunday morning and John was having a one-man church service because nobody else was there. And all of a sudden he hears the noise behind him and he turns around and there's this magnificent person. And it's Jesus. You know, a lot of us have pictures of Jesus in our home. I do. Most of these pictures are about what Jesus would have looked like when he was on the earth. But if you want to see what Jesus looks like now, if you're an artist, maybe, you know, maybe if, you, if you're in the you know, you're, you're a good artist. You might want to just check out Romans, uh, Revelation chapter one and then draw Jesus' picture now. Because when John sees him, his face shines like the sun in his strength. His feet are like fine brass that burned in a furnace. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And John said when he spoke, it sounded like the ocean rolling. And John, even though he knows Jesus real well, like I said, you don't commit your mama to somebody unless you're pretty good friends. When John sees Jesus like this, he goes over like a dead man. Jesus picks him up and says, John, I'm here to give you a message. And ultimately, we get all that prophecy that's in the book of Revelation. But before he got there, Jesus said, John, I want you to give a message. Now, I should time out for a second. When Jesus shows up in John's vision, he's surrounded by seven lampstands, and he's got seven stars in his right hand. Now, John didn't know what that means at first, but we read in Revelation 1.20, Jesus goes on to explain to him. He said, as to the hidden meaning, the seven stars are the seven communicators of the seven churches, and the lampstands are the churches. Time out one more time. Many of us have come from traditions that have communicated a false impression of the church. Over time, as the church got centuries away from Jesus' teaching, there came to be this concept of apostolic succession, that somehow the church was just this one big organism or entity, and that the churches that came on were simply part of that entity. Now, the term church just simply means assembly. There is a universal church in microcosm. It exists in the mind of Jesus, but until that time, we are not the church, we are church as. And what we learn from this text is that Jesus doesn't look at the church as a whole right now. He evaluates church as. And it's so clear from our text. Because what John is about to experience is report card day. Jesus is going to communicate the report card for seven churches 
in Asia. In fact, if you go to Ephesus where John was right off the coast and you just did a clockwise circle, you would go to all seven of these churches. And Jesus gives these messages. But the reason they become part of the book of Revelation is we learn so much. This is why I want pastors to keep looking at this. We learn what is important to Jesus in a church and what he doesn't like. Now, I'll tell you why it's important today. When I hear people talk about churches, especially as I talk and I minister in other places, they'll tell me, well, I like this, I, like, I don't like this, this is what I'm looking for in a church. Ladies and gentlemen, I love you. I wouldn't offend you for the world, but what I'm looking for in a church does not matter at all. What matters is what Jesus is looking for in a church. The question is not what I like. The question is what does Jesus like. It is not what I don't like. It's what Jesus doesn't like. That is what following Jesus means. See, here in the United States, we have a self-worship cult that we figured out some way to shoehorn Jesus into, but it's not real Christianity. And that's why so many people have a bad taste about Christianity is because so many people claim to be Christians, but they're not really following Jesus. So now Jesus is going to do something that he did not do. The reason these three chapters are so important is when Jesus was on the earth, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he was speaking into a transitional period between the two covenants. After Jesus ascended, the church kicked off and other people spoke into the church. Peter, James, John, Paul, Luke, Jude, others spoke to the church. But now all of a sudden, if you have a Bible that has red letters, you, you know, you're turning through all that black ink through the church epistles, and all of a sudden you open the book of Revelation and bam, it's red ink. Because now Jesus is going to talk to us. He's going to talk to the church. Well, I hope you'll read all of this sometime because today we're just going to fly over this. And ultimately what we're going to do is we're going to get to the last two churches because they're the ones that are going to have a whole lot to say to us. But don't you feel like it would be important for us at least just to take a flyover and see what Jesus said to these first five churches? First church, church at Ephesus. That's the church that John pastors. Hey, we would expect them to get an A plus, but they don't. They get maybe a B minus. Let's talk. Jesus said to the church at Ephesus, there's so many things I like about you. Jesus said, I like how hard you work. In fact, the Greek word for labor there means to labor to the point of exhaustion. Jesus said, you're a hardworking church. Hey, I'm around some churches that are really lazy. And Jesus said to Ephesus, you guys, you put your nose to the grindstone. And then he said something else that's really important. He said, when it comes to teaching, you teach the truth. You're not, you, 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 you are so good at teaching the truth. But now Jesus said, I have a complaint against you. He said, you know, you're not a very loving church. You used to be, but you don't love me like you used to, and you don't love people like you used to. Maybe after a while, the church at Ephesus, they did their duty, but have you ever been in a church like this? I mean, the sermon was good, and, and there were, there were, you could tell the people worked hard, but have you ever been in a church where you, like, you walk in, it's like, does anyone see me? Does it, has anyone thought about me? Has anyone thought about my kids? In the church at Ephesus, I don't know what Jesus, I'm not trying to put words in Jesus' mouth, but I think they probably got like a B, B minus. Hey, I said something wrong a minute ago. I said you've probably been in all seven of these kinds of churches. Unless you've been in churches outside the United States, I don't think you've been in this next one. Interestingly, all of these churches had some common component with the name of their city. Smyrna is the second church. It comes from the word myrrh. Hey, some of you are into essential oils. 
If you're into essential oils, you probably know the fragrance of myrrh. It's, it's an attractive smell, but it's just a little bit acrid. It's a little bit bitter. And it comes from that idea of being crushed. The reason why I say if you've only been in American churches, you probably don't know what it's like to be part of the persecuted church. But if you're a Jesus follower, you have brothers and sisters around the world right now who are putting their lives on the line to follow Jesus. Do you know what's going on in western Nigeria right now? The Boko Haram has been killing tens of thousands of people, most of them Christ followers. Just, I, 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 just, I was just reading about this. Last week, the Boko Haram set a number of Christians on fire while they were alive. We know they've killed 30. We think they may have killed as many as 40, including a pregnant mother and an unborn child. A few weeks before, a wonderful pastor in Nigeria was kidnapped and held for ransom. He had a beautiful smile and a beautiful testimony, even kidnapped. He had a beautiful message. But I guess they thought the money didn't come in fast enough, so they took a video and cut his head off there and sent the video back to his family and to his children. Do we know anything about that? Happened a couple weeks ago. Back in the month of December, they kidnapped a young Nigerian Christian student in a Christian college. And you know what they did with him? They tied his hands behind him, made him kneel down, and the Boko Haram had one of their children come and take a revolver as they videoed. Again, they would send this back to his family and to his people. And the kid pulled the trigger. And I think about the horror of that. But they say that Nigeria is not the number one country in the world for persecuting Christians. Pakistan is. And then India. And China's tightening up the screws. Here in the United States, we don't know anything about that yet. So what does Jesus say to the church of Smyrna? Interesting, he doesn't have anything negative to say to them. He just says, I know about your suffering. And then he says this. You think you're poor, but you're rich. Hey, American Christians, sometimes we see images of churches in Africa where they're meeting under a tree, and we think about our magnificent buildings and all our technology and all our stuff, and we think, oh, they're poor. And yet Jesus may look at them and say, they are wealthy. They are wealthy. Well, that's the church at Smyrna. I'll just say they got an A. The Lord had nothing negative to say. And now comes Thyatira. Well, let me go to Pergamos first. Pergamos is an interesting name. It means married. And Jesus does a play on words. And he said, basically to them, you guys are bigamists. You're trying to be married to me and married to the world at the same time. Woo, this is an American church. Jesus is like, well, you know, one, one moment you love me and the next moment you love, my, you, you love, you love the devil's agenda. And here's what Jesus said. And I find this really interesting in 2020 America. Jesus said, I have a few things against you. Look at the verb he chooses. You tolerate. He didn't say they participated. He said you tolerate. And he had words for them. He said, change your mind, change your attitude. And then we see this little phrase that appears a lot of times in the seven church messages, or else. And now the church of Thyatira. Now, this one's interesting because Thyatira is the reciprocal opposite of Ephesus. Remember Ephesus? They had truth, but they weren't very loving. Jesus said to the church of Thyatira, you guys are the most loving church I ever saw. And he commended them for their love. But the problem was they were so loving that they didn't tell the truth. In fact, they had a leader in the church, a lady who was teaching. I don't know her name. Jesus called her Jezebel. But look at what Jesus said. He said, you're permitting that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach my sermons that heads up, 21st century Christians. 
to teach my servants that sexual sin doesn't matter. Hmm. Hmm, hmm, hmm. And now the fifth church. You talk about, I don't know what the other church's grade got. Let's say Pergamos was a C minus. Let's just say, you know, Sardis was, a, I mean, that Thyatira was like a C minus as well. The next church is the one that keeps me awake at night. It's a church called Sardis. And here's what Jesus said to them in Revelation 3 1. He said, I know all the things that you do, that you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Hey, if you were in these other churches, you know, in Asia Minor, you're like, oh man, we know about Sardis, man. That's the happening church. That is, that church is, boy, they, they got it going on over there. Jesus said, I know your reputation. You have a reputation for being alive, but I know you, and you're dead. Hmm. It's not my sermon today, but how does the church get a reputation for being alive when it's dead? Only two ways. By the way, this is true of individual Christians as well. Maybe 20 years ago, they were alive, but after a while, they began to coast on their reputation, and the light went out. Or, hey, could be an American kind of thing. Could be they put all their energy in their reputation, and they didn't have any reality. Now, the beautiful thing about all seven of these messages, even these churches that were really totally whacked, was that Jesus was saying, you do have a way home. He was giving them a way back. And so to the church at Sardis, he said, wake up, repent, and turn to me again. He said, if you don't wake up, which is interesting, what, what have revivals been called historically in the United States? The Great Awakening. The Great Awakening too. That is what revival is. And Jesus is saying to the church of Sardis, I know you got a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Wake up. Wake up. There's a lethargy there. Okay. Move those five churches out of the way. In the brief time that we have left, I want to talk about the last two churches. And here's why. They're polar extremes. One church gets an F, and the other church gets an A+. So Jesus is now going to talk. Well, we're going to take the church that gets the F first, even though it appears last in the scripture, because I want this to end on a happy note. Okay? I'll, I'm that way. So let's take the F, the church that gets the F, and talk about them for a moment. And let's see how they got an F, what, what caused them to get an F. It is, I should tell you, the church of Laodicea, which means basically the people make up the rules. In other words, whatever people think. Whoa. Good morning, America. How are you? So Jesus says there are three problems, or three reasons why you got to F. Here's the first one. I know all the things that you do that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. I wish you were either hot or cold. But since you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, <laughs> we have a very euphemistic translation. Jesus said, I will spit you out of my mouth. You, you, want, you, guys, you guys are straight talking people. You want the straight talk on this. Jesus said, you make me want to, I'll say throw up. But that's what Jesus is saying. To his church, you make me want to upchuck. Well, I should tell you that there was a little city thing going on that caused that to resonate with those people. Laodicea was where there were a lot of mineral springs with mineral water. <laughs> hey, listen, if that stuff is cold enough, you can choke it down. If it's hot enough, you can drink it. But if it's tepid, if it's lukewarm, it'll make you throw up. And Jesus said, your first problem is, you're just sort of, you're just sort of Christians. You're not all out for me, and you're not all out against me. You're just sort of a Christ follower. 
And you know, Jesus says something peculiar. I've been amazed at this since I was a little kid. Jesus said, look, I wish you were hot or cold. Why is that? You know what I've discovered? I have an easy time talking to people that are committed Christ followers. I really have a pretty easy time talking to non-theists. The hardest person to talk to is a person who is not really a Christ follower, but thinks he is or thinks she is. That kind of person you just really can't do anything with. That's what Jesus is saying. It's like, pick one. Either When I was a kid growing up, air conditioning was kind of new. And I remember when we first got air conditioning, my mother would say this to me over and over as I'd be back and forth inside her. Mom would say, in or out? <laughs> in or out? You're okay if you want to stay inside. You're okay if you want to be outside in the heat. But don't go back and forth and let all the cool air out. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, in or out? In or out? That's the first problem. Second problem they have, hey, you know, before I get to this, one of the things that I've heard people say through the years, especially people that had huge prayer requests and prayer needs, I've had people say, Mark, I don't want to bother God. Well, I want to show you something now that will help us to understand that in a whole new light. Jesus said to Laodicea, you say I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I mean, here's the thing. God loves it when you come to him with big needs. He loves it when you have big requests. God wants your request to match your concept of how big he is. God is honored when we bring big needs to him, not troubled. He's troubled when we say, I don't need anything. Let me ask you a question. I'm not trying to make this personal. But when you came here to worship today, were you desperate for God about anything? I mean, some of you know what that's about. It's like, God, if I don't get an answer to this prayer, I don't know how I'm going to get in my car and drive home today. God, if I don't get something from you today, I, I just don't know how I'm going to make it next week. God loves that kind of thing. Jesus works in that kind of situation. You know where he doesn't work? I don't really need anything today. It's Sunday or Saturday. I'm going to church, do the church gig. Where are we going to lunch? I don't really need anything. Hey, that caused this church to get an F. The third thing, I think, is probably attached to the second one. And that, let me just read this to you. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus said to the church of Laodicea, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. When I was a kid growing up in Sunday school, teachers used to teach me that's about Jesus knocking on the door of my heart, wanting to get in. No problem with that. It's just not what the text means. I mean, think about this. Walk, work with me. This is a church. This is the church that Jesus loved and died for. He's knocking on the door trying to get in. Do you see a problem? The problem with Laodicea was Jesus was on the outside of me. They went so long not needing anything, they didn't even realize when they edged Jesus, oh, this is so like 21st century American churches. They didn't even realize when they pushed Jesus outside. They were so into what they wanted and what they had, and they were so impressed with their staff and their building and their people and all this, their programs and all this stuff they were doing. Jesus was forced outside. Well, that's the church that got an F. Let's talk for a few moments about the church that got an A+. Plus. But before I do, I want to talk to you, especially all the guys in the room. Do you remember when you were in high school or college? Some of you are there right now. And the teacher or professor gave a test or a quiz, and everybody failed it. You know how all the talk goes on when everybody fails a test. You know, it's like, it wasn't fair. We weren't prepared. It's outrageous that we got to ask these questions. This, just, this professor does, I'm, wait, till I, wait till I give him the review at the end of this, <laughs> at the end of this semester. 
And, and I don't know, it's been a long time since I've been in college. Back in the day when I was in college, we used to hope that the professor would grade on the curve. Do they still use that language anymore? Grade on the curve. And this, this is how that works. You hope that the professor will take the highest F and make that tantamount to 100 and then scale it down from there. That's what grading on the curve means. So you're hoping for that. Only to find out that there was one kid in the class, always a girl, <laughs> who busted the curve because somehow she managed to make 100. And you're telling the professor, this test is not fair. We all failed it. And you, all, you guys, we all know what the professor says at that point. She says, well, Sarah didn't have any problem with it. <laughs> Sarah studied for this test. That's what you could do if you study. You could be like Sarah. Of course, if you're Sarah, it doesn't endear you to the rest of the class. And some of y'all are Sarahs out there. I know that right now because <laughs> y'all are a smart church. There's always somebody that busts the curve. And so, you know, if I'm at, <laughs> if I'm at Pergamos or Thyatira, I'm like, well, I just hope Jesus sort of like grades on the curve. And along comes Philadelphia, and they just <laughs> get an A+. Plus. Do you understand why I love this scripture so much? Because I pastor what I believe is the greatest church in the world. And I really believe I can make a case that we have been and are the Philadelphia church. That God's power works here in ways that can't be explained by who the pastor is or where our location is or all the wonderful team that we have here and even all the wonderful volunteers. God does stuff that can't be explained. So all the time I'm looking at our church next to Philadelphia and like, is this what I see? Let me read Jesus' words and you'll understand why I say this. Jesus said to the church at Philadelphia, this is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key. Jesus said, what he opens, nobody can close. And what he closes, nobody can open. Jesus said, I know all the things you do, and I have opened a door for you that nobody can close. You have little strength. In other words, Jesus said, you're not like the church at Laodicea. You don't think you have everything that you need. And Lord, I, I, I love this so much because here at New Spring, you can talk to any of our leadership team. We feel like we hang by our fingernails and we just barely make it across the finish line every weekend. I mean, we are so desperate for God to do what we can't do. That is the world that we live in. And Jesus said, you know, you, you know you're not the sharpest knives in the drawer. You know you're not the smartest people in the world but I know your works and I know what you do and, and I have opened doors for you that nobody can close. Not the politicians, not the persecutors, not the haters, not, not the false Christians. Jesus is like, I've got a door open and, and here's the thing. And I will tell you this, there's a little pressure being in a church with an open door because you realize what Jesus is saying is your only limitation is what you put, the limit you put on there. Because Jesus is like, I'm not putting any limitations on you. I'm giving you total green light to accomplish anything that I've called you to accomplish. And Jesus said, even though you don't have a lot of strength, you, look at this. You don't deny my name. You still tell the truth. And we don't deny him as a person. What caused Philadelphia to have a green light? You know what's curious about this? It's not a list of 10 things. It's basically one thing. And I like that because being ADD, I don't like long lists. Little backstory. 
Of the seven cities, Philadelphia was the smallest. And it had been established by the Greeks because it was on the border of three countries, most of which were barbarian. And the Greeks put the city of Philadelphia where it was because they wanted to export Greek culture to the barbarians. And church historians say that the people in the church at Philadelphia thought about their strategic location and they said, we need to think about where God has placed us because just like the Greeks wanted to export culture to people who don't know Greek culture, Jesus has put us here to tell people who don't know about him, about him. They were the first externally focused church. In other words, Philadelphia said, we exist for people who aren't here yet. And Jesus loved that. You know what the nasty little secret about American churches is? It's kind of that emperor's new clothes thing that we never say, but I've never had good sense. I just say it anyway. Can I tell you what the nasty secret of American churches is? You know, it would be like if you watered your lawn with salt water. It would look like water, but it'd kill your lawn. Well, there's a form of Christianity that's not Christianity, and it has killed American churches. There's not a whole lot left. It is this. The people on the inside think that the church exists for them. We come, we pay our money, the church is all about us, and even though they may talk about people on the outside, it's always in an existential sense or it's, it's always in a theoretical sense. If you're new to New Spring Church, let me explain to you who we are. We believe New Spring Church exists for people who aren't here yet. Now, the irony, it's one of those Jesus ironies. Those of us on the inside, we get more blessed than we've ever been in a church in our lives while we're busy being about people who aren't here yet. Now, if that sounds unfamiliar, it's because for the last hundred years or so, American churches have gone in a very different way. But what we discover is Jesus is like, I want to give you a green light as long as you're thinking about the people that I'm most concerned about. And nothing can stop you but your own vision. I've got hundreds of things that I would like to share with you that are sort of evidences of this, but, and I had a bunch of them in my notes, but I'm just going to leave you with one. Oh, you guys, many of you know some of this story already. About, I don't know, four or five years ago, we had a mother coming to New Spring. Her daughter was in one of the worst women's prisons in East Texas. And uh, the mom said, my daughter is requesting, could you send her a Bible? Now, ordinarily, I'm just, again, I'm just telling you inside stuff. Ordinarily, what churches or ministries do in, to prisons, they'll send like a little paperback Bible. It costs about 50 cents. The print's so small. Paper is cheap. And when I heard that, it just sort of touched my heart. And I said to Mary Alice and then our team, I said, I don't want to send her a cheap Bible. People in prison don't feel valued at all. And I, through the years, I, I bought the same Bible. It cost about $21 retail. And Many times I'd lead somebody to Christ, ask them, do you have a Bible? No, will I give them my Bible? And do that over and over again. So I told Maria, just don't. I said, go get her a Bible like mine and send it to her in the prison. I did not know what I was starting. Because all of a sudden we got all kinds of requests from that prison. Ladies writing the most heart-touching articles saying, could you please send me that? Well, that started something else because we started including the book that I wrote, a little book about how you can know for sure you're saved. 
And that prison, it impacted that prison. I, we got a call from the chaplain who said, it has started a revival in our prison. He said, I'm about to baptize 33 ladies who accepted Christ through the ministry of those Bibles. Well, the next thing I know, it's not that prison anymore. Another prison reaches out to us and another prison reaches out. And so we're realizing, okay, and by the way, I had brought this to our board and because I knew it could get expensive and I took it to you and you guys, and our board said, hey, if God's leading this, let's do it. Well, I mean, all of a sudden, that's a bunch of Bibles. Now we're talking about hundreds of Bibles. So you can actually buy Bibles by the case and get a price break. And so it, it dropped the cost from like $21 down to about 13, I think. But now we got a number of prisons. So one of my staff leaders, Dan Kubish, he called the publisher. And he said, this is what we're doing. He told the woman who answered the phone, this is what we're doing. He could tell that she was moved as her voice began to crack. She said, let me put you with the CEO of our publishing firm. So Dan got the CEO on there, and he talked to him. And he said, this is what we're doing. And he became deeply moved. And he said, let me tell you what I'm going to do. He said, I am going to charge you just the raw costs of what the raw materials of what it takes for us to do this Bible. And he said, what's more than that, I think your church should have its own version of this. Pick the colors that you want on the outside. Have your church name engraved in the front, your church verse in the back, a letter from your pastor in it. And I think at that point it's going to cost us around $7. And I came to you and I said, it looks to me like it's going to cost us about $75,000. Now here's the thing. Here's what the Judases, not at New Spring, but here's what the Judases would say. The Judases would say that could get out of hand. Do you know the problem with most churches? Their ministry is in hand. It needs to get out of hand. God help us. The problem with most churches is not that they can't explain what's going on in their church. The problem is they can explain what's going on in their church. But I came to you, and you are the church with the open door. And I said, we need to raise $75,000 to buy enough Bibles, I think, for like three years. You raised it real quickly. We bought the Bibles, but it, they didn't last for three years. They lasted for about six months because, see, right now we're in 37 prisons all across the nation, and God is changing lives. And I had to come back to you a lot sooner than I thought, and I said, it looks like it's going to be about $110,000, and, and you guys begin to give. And then we realized that because of a paper shortage, it wasn't going to be $110,000. It's going to be closer to $150,000. Now, here's the beautiful part of the story. In three weeks... You guys brought the money. I had to do something I've never seen a pastor do before. I had to say, you, don't, you can stop giving. <laughs> we have enough money. Because you are the church with the open door. I mean, you know, here's the deal. If you're an outsider and you're like, I still don't get what that's about. Let me explain it to you. I mean, Jesus cares about people who don't know him yet, and he loves his word, and we help him get together. You are the church with the open door. Do we feel that today? Jesus is like, okay, Mark, you lead a Philadelphian church. Your only limitations are the one you put on there. And by the grace of God, we want to experience the power of God. I'm five minutes in overtime. Can I just say something kind of interesting? You talk about the power of God. We've been talking about in this series. Those of you who were here last week in this service, in all the services, I did a quasi-apology to people who might not be Christ followers. You remember that? Let's see if you're not a Christ follower. The next series we'll start talking about, this is an in-reach series. I'm pretty much going to talk to believers. I kind of did kind of an apology. 
But if you were in the 1115 service last week, you could sort of feel something in that service. I did. Do you know what's interesting? When that service was over, 65 people in the 1115 service gave their lives to Jesus Christ. That set an all-time record, isn't it? It wasn't that God like showing up with power saying, okay, you just told everybody you weren't talking to people who weren't spiritually resolved. Watch me work. Watch me work. May God help us always to be the kind of church that Jesus would say, I'm the one who opens doors and nobody can close them. And I've said before you, an open door. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what we've experienced here today and what you do in this church. Oh, God, we, we are not smartest people in the world. We're not the greatest people. We, we know our own weakness, and we look to you because of it. Lord, please continue to work here in Jesus' name. Would you stay where you are just for a second? If you're here today and you say, Mark, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven if I were to die today. I don't know for sure if I have a relationship with God. I don't know for sure that all my sins are forgiven then I want to take just a couple of minutes to, to tell you how that can change instantly. Because a relationship with God is not a matter of um, changing your way of life to the extent that you can prove yourself to God. Nobody can. It's a gift. And the Bible says this, that God has a deal on the table today. Jesus died on the cross, and the blood that came out of his body was a currency that paid for all our sins. Three days later, he walked out of the grave under his own power, putting an exclamation point on the fact that he is who he said he is, and he's alive today. And according to Jesus, anyone who is willing to believe and trust Jesus to be Savior and King can be forgiven and become God's daughter or God's son. And we see that happen in every service here at New Spring. If you're here today or you're watching online or watching on television or in North Auditorium, it can happen to you right now. As we close out this service, I want to lead you in a prayer. I'll say each phrase slowly so you can decide if you want to say this to God. You can use your own words if you want to. God's looking for a big yes. But if you'd like some help, I'll pray with you. And if you want to pray this, God will hear your prayer. Ready? Here we go. Dear God, I am a sinner. I do many things wrong. But I believe you love me. I believe... Jesus died to pay for my sins. I believe he arose in the grave. Would you forgive me? Would you make me your child? Would you give me the strength to follow Jesus? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, before you leave today, if you just pray with me, I've got a gift box for you. And again, this won't cost you anything. There are no strings attached. It's got, a, it's got a Bible like I talked about and a book I wrote that we want to take your first steps with you again. There's no strings attached. All you got to do is go to any info center and say, I pray with Mark, and you can take this home with you today. Thanks for being here. God willing, we'll see you next weekend. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.